Well, Gateway family, let's find Psalm number 145 this morning. Psalm 145. What a great morning of worship we've already had and celebrating baptism and singing the Lord's praise and being reminded us now in song of how worthy the Lord is. So my heart is full. I hope yours is also. Psalm 145. As we've been journeying through the Psalms these last 20 weeks, we've seen the authors of the different Psalms worship in so many different situations. It's been such a reminder to me of how we worship through so many different forms in addition to our singing. We've seen the authors of the Psalms worship by just delighting in God's word and hearing God's word and receiving that as a form of worship. We've seen the authors of the Psalms worship by expressing lament and being honest with God about the sadness they feel at the brokenness of life and yet trusting him in the hardships. That's worship. We've seen the authors worship by confessing their sins and running back to the Lord when they sin and confessing their sins to him and receiving forgiveness. And that's worship. We've seen them worship God by making him known to others and taking the gospel to people who never heard of God and they're worshiping in that. All that is worship. And yet we also come back this morning to Psalm that reminds us that part of our worship is what we've been doing this morning. That is singing to the Lord and singing praises to God with our words and with our songs. And so as we come to Psalm 145 this morning, we're looking at this morning the question of what is our responsibility in praising God? We have a responsibility to praise God. And what is our responsibility in this task of praising God with our words and with our songs? And before we read the text and get into that this morning, I want to give us some context to Psalm 145, because it's really key to understanding this psalm and unpacking what it is. It was made a huge difference for me in the study of it this week, so I want to share a few things with you before we get into the text. First of all, this is a psalm that's written by King David, the great king of Israel, the one who's described as a man after God's own heart. This is a psalm of David. It's the last psalm of David in the 150 psalms that we have here. This particular psalm of David had a huge impact on the Jewish readers. This is not just like one of many psalms, and this was like the top one to much of the Jewish audience at the time. In fact, this psalm became so important to the Jewish audience that they would recite it three times a day. So this is the one psalm that they would pray morning and afternoon and evening. Three times a day they would recite this psalm over and over and over. Every day of the week, every day of the year, they were reciting Psalm 145 over and over and over. It became the most common psalm in all of the Jewish prayers. It was that huge, that significant, that impactful to them. Yet for us today, we read Psalm 145, and the 21 verses can honestly feel a bit random. It can feel like, well, what, what's David doing here? He's jumping from talking about the kingdom of God, talking about God's mercy, to talking about something else, and just this back and forth. And for us, it can get a little bit lost in the beauty of it. And that's because we're reading it not in the original language. When David wrote this, like all the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, we have a translation of that into English today. And two things that are really important here to help you understand Psalm 145 and why this was so important to the Jewish people that we kind of lose in our English. First of all, this was an acrostic. If you're familiar with the term acrostic, acrostic is where you take a letter. So we did this in English. You'd, you'd write a, you know, a, a long letter, long poem. First line begins with a word with the letter A. Second line begins with a word that begins with letter B, C, D, so on and so forth. That's what David has done here. This is longer than some of the other psalms because he's dead in a cross. He's taken every letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order and started a word that begins with that letter and done that through the entire psalm. It is a beautiful poetic device in the original Hebrew. Now, why did he write that way? Because my guess is you have not written an acrostic letter to someone probably your whole life, have you? There may be an exception, but you probably haven't sat down and taken A to Z and figured out how you could write a sentence beginning with each one of those letters to your friend or to your parents or to whoever else. Well, they did this back then because it facilitated memorization. They didn't have Google. You couldn't pull out your phone and be like, hey, Google, what's that third verse of Psalm 145? Help me remember that. 
And so they would do acrostics because you could start going through, okay, this first letter, okay, this is that word. And they can memorize it better as they were thinking about praising God. And if you were doing an acrostic and reciting it three times a day, every day of your whole life, after some years, you're going to have a pretty good grasp of this beautiful picture of why you praise God. Now, the second thing that we kind of lose as well in the translation here is the structure of this psalm. And this is huge as well to understand this, because when I first read, was reading this and was studying it this week, honestly, friends, it seemed kind of random. And he's talking about the kingdom, he's talking about mercy, and this is back and forth. I'm like, okay, what is David doing here? What's he trying to show us? Well, there's four stanzas in this particular psalm. He has verses 1 and 2 as the introduction, then he has four stanzas. But those four stanzas of the poem only have two themes, the greatness of God and the goodness of God. So he introduces a psalm, and then he talks about the greatness of God, then he talks about the goodness of God, then he goes back to the greatness of God, he goes back to the goodness of God. So this is a poetic masterpiece. Not only is it an acrostic that actually makes sense, you know, logically, but it's an acrostic that deals with these, these two themes back and forth. Greatness of God, goodness of God. Greatness of God and goodness of God. And we can't see that in the text, but as we read it, I think you'll see that. So as we come to Psalm 145 this morning, keep that in the back of your mind. This is a poetic acrostic with two big ideas, greatness of God and goodness of God, over four beautiful stanzas that the Jewish people would recite three times a day. So as we read it now, with that in view, I want us to look for what is our responsibility to praise God? This was given with great significance to God's people because we have a responsibility to praise God. And there's two responsibilities we have related to the praise of God. We should look for that as we read. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading Psalm 145 out of the English Standard Version. And we do one thing a little bit different than normal. I'm going to show you where the stanza breaks are as we read. So normally I don't want any commentary on the reading of the scripture, but today I want to put those in to help you see the flow of thought. So Psalm 145, here's the introduction. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Stanza one now, the greatness of God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Stanza two, the goodness of God. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Stanza three, the greatness of God again. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Stanza four, back to the goodness of God. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. In the summary, verse 21, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Would you pray with me? 
Father, what an incredible responsibility and joy you've given to us to praise you for who you really are. Or to think that you have given us a revelation of yourself, that you've shown us who you are. You've not hidden yourself from us. You've let us see your greatness. You've let us see your goodness. You let us experience these things. And you call us, you invite us to respond to you in praise. That we are made to be worshipers of you. Not just in this life, but forever we will worship you. And so, Lord, this morning, would you take your word and let your Holy Spirit apply your word to each of our hearts that we might come away with a renewed sense of awe and wonder at the responsibility and joy we have to worship you for who you really are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Psalm 145, here's what I want you to see this morning. The main idea of this psalm is simply this. We are to praise God for his greatness and his goodness and lead others to do the same. We have a responsibility that God's given to us, and that is to praise him for who he is, a God who is great and a God who is good, a God who's great, who's infinite, who's majestic, who's awesome, who's beyond comprehension. He's also good, who's near, who's merciful, who loves us, who's with us, who lifts us up. We're to praise him for who he really is, but we're not supposed to stop there. Like we've seen the last three or four weeks in the Psalms, God gives us blessings not for us to monopolize, but we're to make him known to others. And so he calls us to worship him, but he calls us at the same time to lead others to worship him as well because he deserves the worship of every part of his creation. We have a responsibility to praise him ourselves and to lead others to do the same. So I want you to think about that, our responsibility to praise God for his greatness and goodness and our responsibility to lead others to do the same. Let's start with the idea of praising God. That's what this psalm is all about. So go back to the introduction before even the first stanza, verses 1 and 2 here. Just look at how David cast the vision before the people of what we're supposed to do. Verse 1, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. He's a synonym after synonym after synonym here to describe praising God. He uses the word bless, he uses the word praise, and he uses the word extol. Now, again, I probably don't think you've used the word extol much in your conversation this last week if you're like me. Extol simply means to enthusiastically praise, to lift something up with great enthusiasm, with great excitement. You're praising something in this. And so what does it mean to praise something? To praise something, to bless something, to extol something simply means you express admiration for something that you believe is valuable or worthy. Praising something is you're expressing admiration, something you admire because you think it is valuable or it is worthy. Now, it's something important here. When you praise something, you don't add value to it. You're simply recognizing value that you believe is already there, and you're simply acknowledging it, and you're appreciating it, and you're declaring that with your words. Notice that praise has to be is outwardly expressed. When people go to the Grand Canyon, they don't stand on the edge of it and stay silent. When you go to the Grand Canyon with people, the first thing you hear is, Wow, there's such a sense of appreciation, such a sense of praise because they see something that is so glorious in our sight, something so different than anything you see around here that they can't help but have the overflow of expression of that. Because that's also why stadiums are loud. If you have a sports team you like, you go to the stadium, people don't sit there quietly in silence like a library into the game. Everyone's like, that was really good. No, they're expressing it. They're praising their team. They think their team is valuable. They think their team is worthy in some sense of that. And so they're expressing it. They can't contain themselves. They are praising their team. They're expressing admiration for whatever team they're cheering for. That's why stadiums and venues like that are so loud. Now bring that by what David's talking about here with praising God. Praising God is simply speaking to God about how worthy he is. We're speaking to God. We're expressing it outwardly. It's not just quiet inside, but outwardly with our voices. We're expressing to God. We're speaking to God how worthy he is. Again, we're not adding to his worth. 
We're not adding to his glory. He's fully glorious whether or not we praise him. He's fully worthy whether or not we praise him. We're simply admiring it. We're expressing admiration as we realize how worthy he is. Friends, that is our responsibility. Every follower of Christ has a responsibility to admire God, to praise God, to see how valuable and worthy he is every single day. Look back at verse 2. This is not just a Sunday thing for us. This is to be every day. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Friends, if we are in Christ, our praise of God should not be limited to the four or five songs we sing on Sunday morning. Every day, our hearts should be overflowing as we think about the worthiness of God, and we should be praising him day by day by day. Monday to Saturday, our lives should be filled with as much praise as what happens from our lips on Sunday morning. Now, what do we praise God for each day? What are we recognizing in God that is so worthy, that is so deserving of praise? Well, look at verse 2 here. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. You see this throughout the Psalms. Name means one's character. All of the name represents. So what David is telling us here is every day we're to be praising God's character, praising God's attributes, his characteristics. If you remember back to two years ago, if you were with us then on Wednesday nights, we spent 21 weeks looking at the attributes of God, 21 characteristics of God that we can praise God for, and that was very rich, and we can't do 21 attributes this morning, but that's what's so beautiful about this particular psalm, this particular psalm that David sang, that the Jewish people recited day by day by day. He summarizes God's name, his character, his attributes, with two big ones, his greatness and his goodness, and if you think about the 21 attributes of God we studied on those Wednesday nights, all of them fall under either his greatness or his goodness. And so in this beautiful acrostic, David takes all these attributes of God and brings them down to God's greatness and his goodness. This is the character of our God, a God who's great and a God who is good, and praise him for that. Let's start with his greatness, and let's look at that and why we should praise his greatness. The first stanza, verses 3 through 6, reminds us of his greatness. Let's look at that one again, verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. Verse 3 and verse 6 are bookended here talking about the greatness of God. And what follows in the middle there in verses 4, 5, and 6 are what's pointing to the greatness of God. Verse 4, he talks about his mighty acts. Verse 5, he talks about his wondrous works. Verse 6, he talks about his awesome deeds. And David's saying, open your eyes. Look at what God has done in history. His mighty acts, his awesome deeds. And see what he's done. And you will see his greatness on display in what he's done. What are these mighty acts? What are these wondrous works? What are these awesome deeds that David is thinking about? Well, think about redemption history before David. Creation. You have a God who speaks at the sound of his voice, and a billion trillion stars come into existence at the sound of his voice. He speaks, and the earth comes together. He speaks, and man is formed. God speaks. He's so powerful. You think of what David saw with the Exodus, or knows about from history in the Exodus, when God's people were slaves in Egypt, and God sends signs and wonders, plagues, and delivers his people from hundreds of years of slavery. He gets them to an ocean. There's no way they can cross. He separates the ocean. They cross on dry ground. He performs miracle after miracle after miracle. He gives them a land not their own. He blesses them. On and on you can go. David is thinking back to what's happened in redemption history And he sees mighty acts, wondrous works, awesome deeds that cannot be explained by anything apart from a great God who can do them. And so he praises God for that. But friends, can I remind you, we've seen even more than David has seen. We have even more to praise than David did at the time. 
The Jewish people recite this three times a day, every day. And friends, we've seen even more than they've seen. Since he wrote this, God himself has come in human flesh. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law. He died on a cruel Roman cross to take the punishment that we deserve. We see the wrath of God and the love of God meet on the cross. We see Jesus rise from the dead, conquering death. We see the Holy Spirit coming and filling people permanently, residing within them, empowering them to do ministry. We see the church forming with people from diverse backgrounds all coming together, unified from all different backgrounds. People who would normally hate each other unified in the church. We see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. People who have never heard hearing and worshiping and believing. We have that much more to see than even David saw, how much more so should our hearts overflow with the same thing he's saying, saying, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And so when David tries to describe the greatness of God in light of all this, he struggles. I love verse 5. You can almost hear him scrambling to find adequate words to describe how great God is. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty. I mean, how many adjectives can you put together to describe how great God is? Glorious, splendor, majesty. Like, you can see David almost grasping, going, Lord, I'm thinking about all this, and what words are sufficient to describe you? You have glorious splendor, and you're majestic, and I'm not sure what else to say at this point, because you're so big and so great. And he realizes his limitations in praising God. Look at verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is what? What's his greatness? Friends, his greatness is beyond anything we can comprehend or imagine. We can only get a taste of his greatness. It is unsearchable. Our little tiny, finite minds cannot begin to grasp or even comprehend how great, powerful, mighty, strong, awesome God is. Yet in our little tiny, finite minds, we seek to praise him with what we do understand. I came across a quote this week that has really arrested my attention. And it just really stuck with me, trying to describe our feeble attempts to praise God. This author said this, When humans utter words of praise for God, it is as though they are drawing a sunset only with a pencil. When humans try to utter praise for God, it's like trying to draw a sunset with a pencil. I mean, think about that. You're out one evening. You see the most majestic, glorious, beautiful sunset you have ever seen. And you don't have your iPhone whatever with you to take a picture of it. And so you want to show others how glorious and beautiful it was. And all you have is a wide-up napkin from the restaurant in your pocket and a pencil. And so you make a feeble attempt to sketch the sunset. Now, your friends may get a little glimpse of that, that it was beautiful, but they're not going to see the full beauty of it. Friends, that's what our praise of God is like. His, he is so glorious, so big, so awesome, that whatever words we can ascribe to him pale in comparison to his greatness. It's like drawing a sunset with a pencil. But yet we try to because he is so great and he so deserves it. David continues on showing us how great God is. The third stanza of this psalm, he goes back to the greatness of God. This is verses 10 through 13. Go back and look at these and see the greatness of God here. It says in verse 10, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. He's trying to help us see how great God is. And now he takes it and focuses it on the kingdom of God. It's talking about God's rule, that God, who's the creator of all, is sovereign over all. He has the right, he has the power, he has the authority to rule over everything. And look at the first part of verse 13. Your kingdom, what God reigns over, is an everlasting kingdom. God's rule existed before there was time, and it'll exist forever. There's nothing outside of the rule and the reign of God. He says, your dominion, your rule, what he controls, endures throughout all generations. I once heard someone say it this way. There's not an inch 
anywhere on the planet or anywhere in the whole universe over which God does not scream, mine. He is the sovereign ruler. His dominion, his rule is forever and extends over absolutely everything. And when we put those two stanzas together, it's the first stanza about the greatness of God and his works and what he's done. And stanza three, the greatness of God and his absolute sovereign rule. David is overwhelmed in this. He sees the character of God on display and what he's done and his absolute sovereignty over all things. And he must praise God for that because God deserves it. We dishonor God if we do not acknowledge how great he is. But there's a second thing that David says we can praise God for here, and that stands us two and four of this psalm. That's we can praise God for his goodness. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is big. Yes, God is immense. But friends, God is also near and gracious and loving. And let me just point out to you, if you think about world religions and all the false beliefs that are out there, there is no other faith that has a God who's both great and good. This is absolutely stunning. That there is a God who can say over the entire cosmos, mine, who can say over everything, I alone am the ruler, I alone am worthy, but also says, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to love you. No, nothing else can compare to a God who is both great and also good. And so David turns his focus now to the goodness of God. Look at the second stanza of this, this particular poem here, this song. This is verses 7 through 9. Look at the goodness of God here. They, which are his saints here, shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So again here, first and last verse of this stanza begins and ends with the goodness of God. His, not just little goodness, verse 7 was his abundant goodness. And verse 9 was he's good to all. The extent of his goodness is overwhelming of what God does and what he is like. And then verse 8 brings it close to him. How do we experience the abundant goodness of God? What does that look like in my life and yours? Go back to verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's gracious. He gives us things we do not deserve. That's grace. That's an expression of his goodness. He's merciful. He withholds from us the judgment and the punishment that we deserve. That's his expression of his goodness. The fact that you and I are here today and not struck dead in the presence of a holy God, that is his mercy. It's an expression of his goodness. His patience with us and his steadfast love, which you've seen throughout the psalm. Steadfast love means covenantal love, his faithfulness. That God's goodness is not just something, tang- not just something out there theoretical. God's goodness is tangible. We can experience it in the form of the grace and the mercy and the patience and the covenantal, faithful, steadfast love that he shows to each one of us who are his children. And what are those good things that David has in mind? Well, he tells us what this grace and mercy, patience and love looks like in the fourth stanza, verses 14 to 20. And we could do a whole sermon on every single one of these verses because there's so much in here. But let's look at these verses. What do we see? What does the goodness of God look like? In our life, I want to give you here six different things of the goodness of God that David highlights. Number one, God's goodness is seen in him sustaining us. In him sustaining us. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. God is not just great, he's also involved in our lives. Notice how active these verbs are in describing what he does. He's upholding us when we're falling. He's raising us up when we're bowed down. That God is involved in our lives, picking us up when we fall. Number two, not just he sustains us, he also provides for us. He provides for us. Look at verse 15. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. 
that yes, God is great, but he's not distant, unconcerned about our needs. He knows our basic need for food, and he provides food to his people. The third thing we see here is God is generous in his goodness. He's generous. Look at verse 16 here. You, this is you, God. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. And again, this is stunning. The God who is so great opens his hand to take care of the people who are so small and minuscule and insignificant compared to his greatness. And he delights in opening his hand, which is an image of generosity, to satisfy the desires of his people. Look at verse 18. The fourth thing you see is God is near. God is near. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. You can put this together. The great I am, the one who speaks the universe into being, the one who had a plan for redemption before he even made the world, is right here with us. On our good days and our bad days, when we're happy and when we're sad, the great I am is present with us. He's great and he's good. He's near to us. So he sustains us. He provides for us. He's generous to us. He's near to us. Number five, he satisfies us. He satisfies us. Look at verse 19. This is a theme we've seen through a bunch of the Psalms. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He fulfills the desire. Think of some of the other Psalms we saw, like Psalm 73. God is my portion, my contentment. This has been a theme throughout all the Psalms, that God is so great and so glorious, yet he delights in filling us. He delights in satisfying us. He delights in being our portion, our contentment. Number six here, he responds to us when we ask. He responds to us when we ask. Look at the last part of verse 19. He, God, also hears their cry and saves them. Don't miss the wonder. The God who is infinite, who's always existed, who's outside of time, who is timeless, listens when we as children talk to him. And he responds when we talk to him. He answers our prayers. God is great, and yet God is good. And his goodness is seen in these concepts of his grace and his mercy and his patience and his steadfast love. And it's very tangibly seen in his sustenance and his provision and his generosity and his nearness and his satisfying us and his answering our prayers. Friends, let that sink in. It's so easy as to go day by day forgetting the greatness and the goodness both of God. And the reality of both that we can experience each day should lead us to praise him every day, not just Sundays. We should be praising God because he's great and because he's good. And friends, depending on our personality bents, we can get out of balance on one or the other. I've met people over the years who love to think about the greatness of God, who love to read and dwell in and think about the absolute sovereignty of God and love to think about his might and his, how infinite he is and how timeless he is and getting all that. And then we talk to them, they have almost no way to talk about the goodness of God in their life. It's all just out there. In our culture, there's a lot, perhaps more the other way. People are all about the goodness of God to me. And look at how God has blessed me and all this. And they totally miss the fact that God is sovereign and has a redemptive plan that's bigger than my story or your story, who is infinite, who's timeless, who's over all these things. We have to have both, friends. But if we're honest, probably for a lot of us, we forget both of them, not just one. And we go day by day living for ourselves, living for what we think we want to do, missing that, that God is so big and so great, and also God is so good and so near. Each day we should be praising God for both his greatness and his goodness. But friends, we must not stop there. Like we've seen the last several weeks, God's blessings, even the blessings of his presence, the blessings of his goodness, are not ours to monopolize. He gives them to us for a reason. And the big reason we've been seeing in recent weeks is he wants to raise up other worshipers for himself. He deserves the worship of everyone on the planet. And so he blesses us to make us a blessing so that other people come to know him for him and begin to worship him. We're to praise God for his greatness and goodness and lead others to do the same. Think about Psalm 67 last week. 
where, where there's beautiful prayer, God, may you bless us and make your face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. We've looked several times in recent weeks at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where we're reconciled to God and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation as he makes his appeal through us, his ambassadors. We see that here in this psalm as well because it's the theme of all of scripture. The blessing of God comes with the responsibility to make him known to others. Look back at verse 4. There's two places you see this responsibility in, in leading others to praise God. Verse 4 is the first one. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That we have a responsibility not just to praise God ourselves. We have a responsibility, per verse 4 here, to commend his works to other people, to speak of his works, to declare how great and mighty God is. That's another way of saying we're to share God's greatness with other people, the way of his salvation, what he has done. There's a second place this idea is repeated here in this psalm. That's in the third stanza, verses 10 through 12. Look back at those. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They, your saints, shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Why? Verse 12, to make known to the children of man, that just means to make known to everyone, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. That we have a responsibility as God's people to speak of the glory of his kingdom, to tell of his power, to make known to all people his mighty deeds. That raises two questions for us of how do we do that. Number one, how do we do what, what is said here? How do we share the greatness and goodness of God with other people? I think, friends, we overcomplicate it a lot of times. It's pretty simple. We talk about it. I mean, that's really all there is to it on this one. Verse 4, we're to commend, we're to declare. Verse 11, we're to speak and we're to tell. We open our mouths. There's a lot of things that get done under the name of evangelism and missions. But, friends, if there's no speaking of God's character, there's no gospel going forth. There's not evangelism or mission if we do not have the speaking to go with it. So what do we tell them, though? We're supposed to talk to them about God. What do we tell them? Well, we tell them simply who he is. We talk of his greatness and his goodness. We talk about both. We help them see that God is the creator. We help them see that God is infinite. We help them see that God is holy and just. And because he's holy and just, he must punish sin. We help them see the wrathfulness of God. We help them see all of that. We also help them see the goodness of God. That he's merciful and gracious and slow to anger. He's patient with them to give them time to repent and believe. And so we show them his mercy and his grace that Christ has made available to them. And we show them the path of how they receive that. We speak simply of the goodness and the grace of God as we talk about him to other people. We open our mouths and talk to others about what we see right here, David showing us. And then the question becomes not just how do we do it, but now where do we do that? What spheres are we supposed to speak about God's greatness and goodness in? Well, there's three here that are in this psalm, I believe. The first one is our own homes. We start right there. Look at verse number four. One generation shall commend your works to another. Now, there's obviously a lot in that, but the obvious place to where one generation speaks of the greatness and goodness of God to another is in our homes. So parents of Gateway, we have a very sobering, serious responsibility to make sure that we are speaking of both the greatness and the goodness of God to our children to commend his works to them, to commend, to speak highly of them, to declare to them his mighty acts, to help them understand redemptive history, to help them understand what God has done throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament era since the time of Christ, to help them see who God is in all of his greatness and his goodness. Parents, we have that awesome task to do that. And whole church, we all need to be involved in this. If you don't have kids in your home, please be praying for the parents of Gateway who do. This is a very sobering responsibility we have for the older generation to commend God's works to the younger 
generation. I pray that as we do that, we see more and more baptisms like this morning where you have a father getting to baptize his own child who is then sharing the gospel in his home. So it starts in our homes, but there's another place we do this as well. That's with one another in community as believers. Look at verses 10 and 11. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They, your saints, shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Because we have a responsibility to remind each other about the greatness and the goodness of God. Because the reality is life gets busy, we get distracted, and we are all forgetful just like the people of Israel were. And we can very quickly forget the greatness of God. We can very quickly forget the goodness of God. And so God has given us the grace gift of Christian community, the grace gift of the church, so that when we get forgetful of that, we can remind each other, verse 11, of the glory of God's kingdom and tell of his power. We need to be in each other's lives, not just talking football or weather or nice things, but to be speaking of both the greatness of God and the goodness of God, because that becomes an anchor for us in what we're supposed to be doing. So it starts in our homes, it continues in our church community, but then third, where else do we speak of the greatness and goodness of God? To anyone else God puts in our life. Quite simply, to anyone else God puts in our life. Look at verse 12. To make known to the children of man, which I said earlier means anyone, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Whether we find ourselves here in Montgomery or somewhere in the ends of the earth in China or some other country, wherever God puts us, he has put us here by design to be his ambassador, his minister of reconciliation, to make known to the people he sovereignly puts in our path his mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. Friends, we have a dual responsibility. Praise God for his goodness and greatness and lead others to do the same. So I want to ask you this morning, friends, are you experiencing today both the greatness of God and the goodness of God? Do you see God in his beauty and infinite power? And is that leading you to a place of absolute awe that he is almighty and you know him? Are you experiencing also the goodness of God and his care for you? Are you experiencing him sustaining you and providing for you and loving you and being near to you? Are you experiencing him satisfying you? Are you experiencing today both the greatness and the goodness of God? If not, or not where you want to be, remember Psalm 67? We're invited to ask him for more of his blessings. It is good for you to run back to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not experiencing your greatness and goodness like I should. Show me more of yourself. Give me more of your blessings. It is good for us to ask that like we saw last week. But in addition to asking that, friends, we don't just need to sit by and wait past. We run back to his word. Because in his word, he shows us his greatness. In his word, he shows us his goodness. And perhaps we need to do, if you find yourself dry in that, do what the Jewish people did. Go read Psalm 145 three times a day this week and see what happens. And reflect on the greatness and the goodness of God, asking him to show more of himself to you. But then the second question is not just are you experiencing that, but are you praising him for it? Friends, what does your worship of God look like Monday to Saturday? I love being in the room here on Sunday mornings and hearing you sing to the Lord. I love the sound of the voices of the saints here at Gateway praising the Lord's greatness. I love hearing you pray together. I love the sounds of worship that happens here. But friends, what is our worship like tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Are we worshiping God every day? And if we're falling short, same things, friend. Ask God to stir our affections for it and then run to the word because so much of our worship is simply a response to who he is. So to daily ask for more affections for him and to daily run to his word to see him. And the third question that has to come out of this for us, not just are we experiencing his greatness and goodness, not just are we worshiping him all week long for it, but friends, are we leading others to become worshipers? Are there people that God has put in your life 
is put there because he wants you to lead them to worship. He wants you to be the one who commends his works to another. He wants you to be the one who declares his mighty acts of salvation to people who you do not know. Are there people in your life, in your work, in your school, in your neighborhood, even in your own home, that God's calling you to speak about the glory of his kingdom, to tell of his power, to make known to them his mighty deeds? Friends, who has God put in your life this week? Not just to be your friend, but he's put them there because he wants you to point them to become worshipers of him too. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your word. God, we are so thankful that you're both great and good. Lord, it would be terrifying to think of you as a great God who is not good. And there'd be no reason to follow if you were good, but not great and able to do what you said you'd do. Lord, I pray this week for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, God, that you would anchor us in the fact that you're both great and good. God, that we would discover in deeper and newer ways this week how great you are and how good you are. Lord, even as we saw last week in Psalm 67, Lord, would you this week in each of our lives bless us, make your face to shine upon us, but Lord, would you do that so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. For this week we ask, not just for us because we need it, we are needy and we are desperate, but we ask that this week you would show us or more of your greatness. I thank you that we can even approach you and say, God, show yourself to us. Yeah, we pray as well this week that you would show us more of your goodness. And thank you, Lord, that we can go even ask that as well. We don't have to fear. We don't have to tremble going before the great I am and saying, Lord, would you give us more of your goodness this week so that your way can be known on earth. And God, help us steward well what you give to us this week. As you show us more of your greatness, as your word comes alive to us, as we see your hand at work in ways that blow our mind, Lord, as we experience your nearness and how satisfying you are, Lord, I pray that our hearts would so overflow that as we're driving down the road, as we're sitting around the dinner table, as we're spending time as families, if we're just even out for a walk in the gym, that Lord, we just can't help but overflowing and thinking about you and praising you because we see your goodness and your greatness on display everywhere we go. Lord, I pray for myself and these friends today, Lord, that you'd make us mindful of the people you've put in our life. Lord, we know you deserve worship from everyone that you've surrounded us with. So Lord, would you help us this week not be fearful of man, not be afraid of what people think, but Lord, to be willing to speak of the goodness and the greatness of you that we have experienced. Lord, I pray this week you might choose to work through the people of Gateway where someone who is not yet a worshiper of you becomes a worshiper of you this week because someone here is faithful to be used by you. Let you do the work as you make your appeal through us. Lord, would you have your way? Lord, we know you desire for your kingdom to come all over the world and right here in Montgomery as well. So would you use us this week, Lord, to make you known so that you get all the praise. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we praise the Lord in song now as we close our service?